Good morning, everyone. So thankful that you could be here. I've started each Sunday off with kind of a highlight of a different thing that's happening here at Oldham Lane. And this morning, I want to brag a little bit on our solo servants group. Some of y'all may not be aware of the wonderful things that this group is doing, but it's a group of widows and widowers, divorced, single, or those who are worshiping alone, who gather together on a regular basis to support and encourage one another. It seems like every time I turn around, y'all are doing something up here at the building. Um, they've got lunches that they have at the building, they have game days that they have at the building, they go out to eat on Sundays all of the time, and I just, I see that group and I see the wonderful things that they do together, but, but more than that, I see the community that they formed. Church, that's what this is about, is, is, is about putting ourselves in contact with people who are going to hold us accountable and lift us up and, 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 and keep us going in the right direction when sometimes we don't want to. And oftentimes it can feel like, like we get lost in the bigness of a, of a church of this size, but there is a place for everyone. And if you haven't found your place where you can plug in, I would encourage you to do so. Um, we want that for you, and that's important. How many of you like musicals? Yeah, I knew, I was looking at Luke, because I expected Luke to raise his hand, because I work next door to him, and he sings all of the time. Now, my mother is here this morning, and she's thinking in her head, don't be too judgmental, because I raised you, and you walked around the house doing the same thing, and now I'm suffering the same deal, because my son Braxton walks around the house making noise all of the time. Maybe not music, it's more of a joyful noise, at least for us. For Luke, it's music. For me, it's a joyful noise. Probably my favorite musical is Seussical the Musical. That's just because I'm a goofball and I think that it's a lot of fun. You know, there is something unique about musicals, isn't there? Something's communicated in a musical that's different than is just communicated with words. I mean, we can write a, we can write a statement and it comes across one way. But when we have a, an organization of that statement where there's a cadence and a rhythm... It adds another element. And then when we add in the music in the background, there's a whole nother level of emotion that happens. It's one of the reasons that when we come together, we sing. Because something special happens with music. In this morning's lesson, we're going we're gonna to examine an excerpt from what I would consider a, a first century musical. Okay, so it's going to start with this opening scene where the story starts to unfold and there's a little bit of narrative. And then the central character is going to burst into song and explain these realities around her that, that couldn't be adequately explained with just normal words. And so I believe she sings them. You can go ahead and start turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And I want to remind you a little bit about where we've came from. We're in the middle of the greatest story ever told, as told by Luke um, in chapters 1 and 2 of his gospel. And over the last few weeks, we've seen some really amazing things. The very first week, we looked at Zechariah and how the angel Gabriel showed up to him in a powerful way and gave him this news that even though he was old and even though Elizabeth was barren, they were going to have a baby. His name was going to be John, and he was going to prepare the world for something big that was going to come. And together we wrestled with how God, God is faithful in his plans. 
Um, God is preparing and faithful in what he's doing. Then the next week we moved in and we saw that Mary had the opposite problem of them. They were old and barren, and now we run into this young virgin who's not even married, and she gets delivered some similar news. You're going to have a baby, and, and he's going to be named Jesus, the Lord saves. You're going to carry the Son of God into the world. We talked about how God chose this young, unknown female from a no-name place for the greatest task ever a human being has asked to been carry out. Carry out. God certainly doesn't need the same things that we do. That was a marvelous thing that we got to see, and we discussed together the humble posture that we take before a holy God. Behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word, Mary said. Well, today we're going to see the two lives of these individuals intersect in a, in a powerful way. These two women whose bodies were being used by God for powerful but different purposes. And we're going to see the magnificence of what is starting to settle in around them. As we see their lives collide, we're going to see the truth is confirmed. And we're going to get another glimpse into the purposes and works of God. You know it. Seems like every time I turn around, there's another table set out in the foyer for someone who's going to have a baby. It's been a wonderful thing here at Oldham Lane watching so many of our young families grow. And it doesn't matter how many times it happens. It is just a marvelous miracle, isn't it? When we get the email with the, the gender and the, the name of the new baby that's going to be joining our family, it just, it, it just never gets old. Um, I think maybe one of my favorite sounds... Well, I love singing. We've already confirmed that. But one of my favorite sounds is the sound of the children in our worship service. And I hope that our mothers always know how important it is for us to hear those sounds. We don't care and we love it because we love our babies. The miracle of birth is something else. But you know, there is something special about the first one. Something special that a family goes through when they're navigating the newness of the first baby that's going to be coming into their family. And there's an extra level of special that's added in when you've waited a long time for that to happen. I can't imagine what it must have been like for Elizabeth in her old age, experiencing for the first time all of these feelings and all of these changes that were happening within her body. In today's story, we're going to see the baby move inside of Elizabeth. And, and I think, and I may be given too much artistic license here, but I think that there's a really good chance that this was the first time she felt her baby move. She says that she feels this leap for joy. She would have been at about six months, which medically probably was on the far end of when you would first feel the movement of a baby, but it's certainly possible. Um, at the very least, this movement that she experienced was like none other. And we read it in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, into the town of, in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 
If you'll remember, back in Luke chapter 1, verse 15, the angel Gabriel had told Zechariah that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the womb. And in verse 17, he had said his purpose was going to be to make a people prepared. You know, I'm not sure how much of this Elizabeth knew about. She certainly understood that a miracle had happened in her body. She was excited for her reproach to be removed from among the people, the text tells us. But, but we had pointed out the first week, if she had stopped there, if that's all she had seen, she would only see a, a tiny bit of what God was doing. Because this wasn't about her at all. The realities that awaited her were for all of humanity, for all of eternity. And today she gets her first glimpse into that. Because we see John, for the first of many times, under the power of the Holy Spirit, from her womb, testify to the realities of who Jesus was. And that's a special moment. Magnificent realities are setting in for Elizabeth. There are things that the text directly says. It says that she experienced a, a leap of joy. It says she was filled with the Holy Spirit. She knows that the Lord is in Mary's womb because she calls him by name. And there are other things that are implied. The lives of these two babies are intertwined. The story connects them in a way that they can't be separated. We learned that the son that she is carrying is filled with the Holy Spirit like Gabriel promised. We see that she has been blessed by God in an extraordinary way. You know, Elizabeth would have been the first human being to knowingly stand in the presence of Jesus Christ, the salvation of Israel. It's at this point, if we're kind of following our musical theme, that I think the camera pans over to Mary, and we see the musical notes start to cue up in the background. I'm, I'm not really sure how to communicate to you quite the magnitude of what is being realized in this moment. Church, it's happened. That's all I know what to say. It's, it's happened. In this moment, we discover that Mary is officially with child. The pregnancy test is positive. Maybe Mary already knew this, but I don't think that she did. I think it's more likely that this was the moment that she realized that the words that she had been told, the words that she had been believed, were, were coming true. She had left with haste and joined up with Elizabeth. The text gives us no indication that anything happened in between. But right here and right now, these magnificent realities proclaimed by Elizabeth start to hit Mary as well. And the text gives us Mary's song, The Magnificent. Let's read it together. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. It's happened. 
Jesus is in Mary's womb. The angel told her it was going to happen. John testified to this reality with leaps of joy. The Holy Spirit had fallen upon Elizabeth and given her supernatural knowledge of this fact. And in Mary's response to this, we see three movements pour out of her soul. Her song starts with a very personal section. And then it moves to a very general one. And then it ends with a very specific one. She exudes wonder at the beginning for all that he's done for her. And then she exudes wonder at what he's doing for all of creation. And then as we get to the end, she zeroes in on what he's doing for his people. In verses 46 through 48, we read the beginning. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. What does it mean to magnify the Lord? You know, Elizabeth had just proclaimed for Mary to be the mother of my Lord. I think it's quite possible that this song, this first line of the song is directed to her womb. This is the first song of a mother to a baby growing within her. I have a really neat Halloween picture that I want to show you. Change the subject a little bit. Some cute kids, right? Better nod your head because my kids are in, those, in that uh, picture. Um, this is from a couple of years ago at our trunk or treat, and this is some of, our, some of our kids that are really special to us. And as you first look at this, you just see a lot of really cute kids. But as you look closer, there's something kind of unique in this photo. It actually captured a really special moment that you, you might not notice until I show you. I'll give you a little hint. Go to the next slide. I don't know. That's probably not a bold enough circle. Go to the next slide and we'll zoom in. Oh, you see right there. She had her little magnifying glass. I, I love that picture and, and what it shows. I, I think of a magnifying glass that expands the detail of what you're looking at. Mary's soul draws attention to the glorious details of the Lord. The Lord who had showed up with a message to Zechariah and a miracle to Elizabeth. The Lord who spoke great things to her. The Lord who fills John the Baptist from the womb and the heart of Elizabeth with truth and who is now growing inside of her. Magnificent realities are setting in for Mary and her soul sees it. And her song is about to tell us all about it. I, I can't think of a more fitting picture to represent this story at this point in time. It's a little hidden gem off to the side. Most people would have missed it if you weren't looking close. Over there in the, in the corner of the universe, all away from the hustle and the bustle of politics and religious leaders, God was working, and young Mary was starting to see it. The baby would continue to grow, and so would these expansive realities of all that God was doing. But right now, at this point in the story, Mary had noticed something stewing in the picture of life. A little face peeking out, something becoming clear that wasn't there before. The most beautiful story ever told is coming together. And Mary gets to see it first. But why Mary? Why her? As we ask this question, the central theme of our song begins to emerge. What is it that's worth looking at? What is it that causes this joy within her to well up? What is it that she sees? She sees a God looking on the humble estate of his servant. In fact, God has taken her humble estate 
and he's turned it into something glorious. Look at what she continues with as she continues to sing, starting in verse 48. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. From humble to blessed, from a nobody from nowhere to blessed before all generations, God has indeed done great things for her. And this is what she speaks of first, but her song doesn't end there. What we see happening in Mary has already happened to Elizabeth. Remember the very first week, Elizabeth's response to the miracle within her was, oh, look at what the Lord has done for me. He's removed my reproach from the people. And we talked about how it was a lot bigger than that. Well, this is the week where where Elizabeth starts to see. In fact, we see her language change. She says, look at you, the mother of my Lord. She's blessed now for different reasons. Her horizon is expanding. And Mary does the same thing in her song. She starts with herself, but she quickly turns the focus to the bigger picture. It isn't just her. God has also done something marvelous for creation. In keeping with our musical theme, this is where the camera would kind of pan outward and the music would crescendo upward and the the volume would increase. And she moves from this intimate picture of, of God interacting with her to this huge picture of God interacting with with all of creation for all of eternity. Yet, despite the change in focus, we see the behavior of God remains consistent. We see that his eye is always directed towards a certain type of person. In verse 50, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. So we see his eyes directed towards those who fear him. The proud, scattered. In verse 52, he's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the, the rich he sent away empty. Those of humble estate are exalted and the mighty have been lowered. Those who are hungry are filled, and the rich are sent away empty. We love a good rags-to-riches story, don't we? Seems like every sports movie is about the underdog rising to the top and overcoming. See there, I worked sports into another sermon. Think about Rocky or the Mighty Ducks or the Sandlot. We, We love stories of the underdog showing up and winning. We love to see the humble exalted. Our children's story, Beauty and the Beast. Cinderella, Annie, the list could go on, and I'm sure you have one of your favorite rags-to-riches story. This is the ultimate rags-to-riches story, kind of. The riches aren't what the movies would portray riches should be, but they are riches nonetheless. Mary, a nobody, has been given the most important job in the world. And God, in the same pattern he has always operated, continues to exalt the humble and humble the proud. We saw it in the Garden of Eden. We saw it in the story of Noah. We see it in the story of Abraham and in the story of the nation of Israel and in the story of Jesus. And I think you're going to see it in your story as well. As the song begins to wind down, the pace slows and the focus changes once again. Similar theme, but a different focus. She moves from generalities to to specifics. The faithfulness God has demonstrated to his people. In verse 54, 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. You see, she now draws back in history to the promises that God made to Abraham so many years ago. The promise that he made to bless all of the nations. And she sees it. It's here. The fulfillment of the promise. Just like God took a nobody servant Mary and used her to accomplish great things for all of creation, so God had used his servant Israel as a people and as a nation to bring about his mercy. God is faithful. And that is the emerging central theme in the greatest story ever told through the ups and downs of history and through the ups and downs of individuals and through the ups and downs in your life. God is faithful. And that's really what this song is about. It's about God. It's not about Mary. It's not about you. It's not about Israel. Though it speaks in powerful ways to each one of those, the real purpose of this song is to express magnificent realities of God. And what is it that we learn about him? Well, we see who his people are. And we see what his patterns are and how we should expect him to continue acting. And we see what a promise means to him. His pattern has always been to lift up the humble and lower the proud. We certainly see times in history where it would seem like the rich and the powerful and the mighty are winning, but they never win. They're only ever used for the ultimate purposes of God. God has always used the weak and those who are nothing in the eyes of the world as the vessels through which he would display his power. That's his pattern. That's his template. And that's what we have seen and should expect from our God. His promises. His promises... They're always fulfilled. The words that he spoke from creation, he remembers. The words that he spoke to Abraham, he was faithful to. The words that he spoke to Mary, he honored. And the words that he has spoken to you are no different. And finally, his people. His people are the humble. Those without power or influence. His people have often been hungry and powerless and despised, poor, nobodies from nowhere. It's often been in surprising ways, and the process of getting there is taking surprising routes, but his pattern has been to keep his promises to his people, to bless the humble just how he said he would, and to bring the haughty to their rightful place before him. I'm going to guess, if you are like me, you normally read this song of Mary with warm fuzzies in your stomach. But look at what it says. Consider our country. We are rich. We are powerful. We are proud. Yet God exalts the humble. Should our takeaway from this song be a warm and fuzzy feeling, or should it be concern? God is faithful, and while the rejection of the rich and the powerful and the proud may continue for a season, rest assured it is temporary. 
There is no salvation for you in money or human ideas or striving. There's no salvation for you in government and politics. There's no security in retirement accounts and investments. God will bring all of these things to their rightful place. The promise and the pattern is for the people, and the people are the humble. I hope Mary's song causes you to take pause and to look around and say, hold on, wait. Where do I find myself here? Do you come to the table empty or do you come to the table full? In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, we see the parable Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And we see the different ways that they pray. I want to read it together and I want you to ask yourself this question as we read. Who am I in this story? Starting in verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Which of these men best represent you? Do you see your need for God? For those who see their need for God, for those who understand their insufficiency, For those who recognize their need for a Savior, for those who understand their their smallness in the shadow of an almighty God like ours, for those who fear Him, for those who submit to Him, magnificent realities await. What do you need to give up? Where's your heart? You know, the greatest story ever told often gets overlooked by those who feel like they have a pretty good story themselves. Yet here we find Mary standing in awe and magnifying God who's done great things for her and who is doing great things for his people and is faithful to his promises. For his people, the story is great. And for the proud, the story is terrifying. Will you be scattered, brought down, and sent away empty? Or will you be exalted and filled and shown mercy? It comes down to this. It comes down to humility. For the humble, magnificent realities await. Perhaps you need to be brought down. Baptism. Baptism means so much. It's one of the powerful ways that um, our lives are made to intersect in a very tangible and, and physical way with the death of self. It's the way that we are buried with Christ and joined to him. And as we rise out of the waters of baptism, we arise to walk in submission and service to him. The first step to taking hold of his salvation, his ultimate promise, is by humbly admitting there is no way except through Christ and attaching yourself to him through baptism. Perhaps this news is new to you and you would like to study. We would love to do that with you today. Perhaps you studied and you know what you need to do and the waters are ready if that is the case. 
Or perhaps your arrogant heart has reared its nasty head. And it's time to repent and humble yourself. Whatever your need may be, don't wait. Take care of it today as we stand and sing.